Special thanks to our newest sponsor. Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast Tropics, which makes beer with insanely potent passion fruit and guava notes. I actually brewed with Tropics after we talked about it on episode 188, and the next day the brewery smelled like a guava orchard. Now, Berkeley Yeast just released Thiol Boost, which is a liquid thiol precursor that will take it to another level. Mention this podcast to get 15% off your next order. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. What you're about to hear originally aired in April of 2019. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. Byproduct, when you're, you're small and you're first starting up, is one of the last things you ever think about. If you do get bigger, how do you get how do you get it out? If it's in the back corner of the brewery and you have to go and literally move it through everything right out the front door, maybe that's not such a good idea. Think about how you can get it out the back door and more importantly, have something bigger, like some kind of vehicle that will have access. This week on the show, Bill Cromie of Commodity Specialist Company is here to talk about everything you've always wanted to know about spent grains. Bill's been an active Master Brewers member for many years and has served on the Board of Governors. If you've got a question about spent grains, Bill's your guy. I guess I'd like to get started with um, sort of the composition of spent grains. Obviously, there's going to be some variation from brewery to brewery and, you know, recipe to recipe. But can you give us some high level uh, sort of, you know, what's in spent grain? Spent grains is the residual barley that is cooked to extract the wort or sugar waters. And uh, as a result, what's left over is a very fibrous, high-protein byproduct that is definitely beneficial to a rumen animal that can break down that fiber. So I'm just going to call it a a byproduct barley, predominantly. Let's talk about sort of the the storage of spent grains in the brewery. Uh, a question I get a lot is, how, how long can a brewer store spent grains uh, before they're fed to livestock? I have stored brewer's grains for as many as five years and fed it to cattle. Wow. There are techniques or programs that work 
And obviously, it takes some thinking and some management, like anything else in the world. If you manage it, you can uh, keep the product in good condition and, and feed it over a long period of time. All right. Well, talk about that some more. How, how do you keep it in good condition? Very simply, Brewer's Grains is a product that is fresh and perishable. Um, when it is first brewed, the acid content or the pH is about a 3.8. The acidity of the grain prevents any bacteria from growing on it. It basically is sterile. Um, it takes about two to three days for the grain to lose its pH level. As a result, that's when bacteria can grow on it. So bruised grains pretty much will not deteriorate unless the pH rises through oxidation and access of other elements from the air. If you can go and find a technique where you can keep the pH low or prevent bacteria from getting to it, it's going to be basically uh, uh, kept fresh indefinitely. And what happens during that spoilage? Talk about sort of that, that process of it breaking down. Do the, do the grains lose their nutritional value or will the livestock just simply reject them if, if, they've been, if it's spoiled? Ironically, the nutritional value does not go down that much, even as the grain deteriorates. What you'll find is the grain will crust and there'll be a, uh, um, a thin or enlarging crust as time goes on to penetrate down lower. The pH inside the grain stays the same. Cattle will go and knock off the crust and go in, down into the grain to eat it. And um, nutritional value, like I said, stays the same. The only thing that really affects the consumption is palatability. Much like that piece of fried chicken that you eat fresh out of the vat, uh, you know, seven days later when you take it out of the back of the refrigerator, you're not going to be as happy about eating it, but they will if they're hungry enough. Okay. How about some best practices for storage in terms of like containers and, and, and I guess, again, kind of give us what you would recommend for the smallest of brewers who are, you know, brewing in like a brew pub setting as well as for some larger breweries. Well, if, if you look at the smallest of brewers, to start with the gentlemen that have just a, a bin of spent grains, the, uh, pretty much if you can put a lid on it and have it completely full and put the lid on it, you'll find the crust will not go very deep into the grain at all because air cannot penetrate. If you actually have it in a 55-gallon barrel and you want to store the grain to feed it over some time period, you can actually put more water in the barrel and have water cover the grain. And the water on top might become a little iffy, but the grain below will stay fresh. So it's going to be a lot heavier to move and more difficult to move it. But if you have a barrel of brewer's grains you want to keep fresh, just put water on it, a uh, watertight barrel, and uh, that grain will stay fresh till the day you kind of tip it, drain the top off, and start scooping the grain out. Let's talk about um, side-streaming yeast and or troop into spent, spent grains. There's probably a lot we can talk about there, but why don't you give us a lowdown on that? That's a common practice to take troop, uh, yeast, all those berries, even diatomaceous earth. It's not uncommon at a very low level to put it into spent grains to dispose of it versus paying for it to be removed. Uh, as long as you keep those items down to a level where uh, it's less than 1% or 2%, and as long as the moisture from these other byproducts don't uh, destroy the palatability, excuse me, the, the handling of the spent grains, uh, you can put as much as you want into it. And uh, that's why it's always good to have a tank. If you have all these, all these other byproducts, it will kind of blend better when you're putting it into a larger tank and it kind of turmoils inside it. If you're putting it into a trailer, 
Uh, a lot of times you'll have separation of these various ingredients, and it's a little more difficult when the consumer receives it to, to kind of spread it or uh, mix it. But overall, uh, it's, there's no danger in putting uh, uh, minimal levels of those products to get rid of it. I've heard some people say that it's, it's necessary to autolyze yeast with a heat treatment of some kind before um, mixing it into spent grains. I've also heard other people say that that's not the case. What's, what's the deal there? Well, the reason why there's danger of yeast for a cow or a rumen animal is that it's still active and it's creating gases. Uh, and if you feed a lot of the product direct to a cow, you can cause bloat where the gases will be so intense, so quick that it actually shuts off the escape valves, whether either end, the animal cannot expel those gases. And what that's called is obviously bloat, and that can actually kill the animal. That's why there's always been a practice of crying out, autolyze it, because they're scared to death of being liable for the death of that animal. The, you can feed uh, live yeast to, to a cow, probably less than a gallon, maybe about, uh, you know, gallons about eight pounds, maybe about seven or eight pounds max, if you want to be careful, six pounds per head. If you do that, you won't get in trouble. They can consume that, digest it without any problems. Uh, another way of effectively uh, feeding the live yeast is have a, mix, have a mixer wagon, where if it's blended with a lot of other ingredients at a lower percentage, you know, that's six pounds per cow, again, you won't have any troubles whatsoever. So again, the key is access, where if the animal, uh, if you have a boss cow that comes up to a tank of yeast and just puts his face in and starts drinking it, he's going to be in serious trouble. But if you can control the feeding of it, it's not an issue. All right, very good. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I've heard stories of bloat too, even from feeding unprocessed barley. So I worked at one brewery oh. years years ago where they had a, um, uh, I guess it was a, a weevil infection infestation in the in their you know barley silo, and so uh, they went ahead and sent a, a bunch that, of that straight to feed. And that um, happened to me with a brewery to be left unnamed. They had some. Uh, ground what was it hominy was it hominy or, or or some kind of starch i can't remember what it was now but they were going to use it in some kind of special brew and there were some weevils in it and they decided to get rid of it well instead of calling me to help them they called the farmer a farmer just a little bee farmer to come pick it up and take it away he went away thinking he had something like rice holes or some kind of uh, you know cheap byproduct he could feed like corn well, he fed that as intense as it was with those four sugars in it, and he lost six cows and was shocked. Of course, once he called me, we knew right away we identified what it was. And that wasn't the real issue. The issue was is that he was feeding somebody else's uh, fair cows, that show cows that we're going to bring to the fair. Mm. So we ended up picking up the tap for it. It wasn't our responsibility for the brewery, but we ended up being the buffer so the brewery didn't get a black eye. <laughs> their byproduct or, or kill the cows yeah the was very happy we stepped in and took care of the farmer we shall we say we paid him off we found a way to, to accommodate uh, and replace his cattle everybody went happy in the meantime the the uh, dairy uh, the far, excuse me the brewery realized that you need an expert sometimes with your byproducts when you have something unusual coming out the back door yeah i think unfortunately the casualties in in my scenario were much higher than that but it, it was not, not not a pretty situation mm-hmm. 
How about, do you have to worry about, um, I, I don't know, this could be good or bad, I suppose, but when you are mixing live yeast into spent grains, I assume there's probably going to be a little bit of fermentation that takes place. Is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Very minimal. You don't really have any sugars in the spent grains. By the time you spread it out, the, the yeast becomes relatively inactive. One other question I have about mixing in yeast and or trube, to what extent does that vary uh, by the animal being fed? For example, I've heard some folks say that sheep won't, won't eat trube, whereas dairy cows will. Well, again, it's like flavor. Some people like Wendy's and some people like McDonald's. <laughs> animals that, that literally are just finicky about something different. So um, yeah, it just varies from farm to farm. We have some farms that like the grain a little old because the cattle seem to eat it better when it's a little rank. Uh, but that's because they were used to it. They always get grain and they can never feed it quick enough. So they have a lot of grain, a lot of crust on it, and they actually do better with it than when the fresh grain shows up. Do you want to talk at all about some of the new, the new regulations with, with FISMA and how that has changed the game in terms of spent grains on the, on the brewery uh-huh. side of things? You're talking about animal feed safety systems? Yeah, just, um, you know, I guess, you know, with FISMA, the, how there's both uh, their, their rules for food for animal consumption as well as for, for, for human consumption. And I know that, at least in the brewing industry, you know, if you remember a few years back, there was a, a big to-do uh, with the Brewers Association sort of taking up a, a stand against the FDA's proposed rulings on, on brewers' spent grains. So well, that, That's real interesting you say that, John, because when that FDA scare came there was a big outcry and push to not be regulated so draconically and uh, they they basically wasted it and uh and this is very important for the small crafts very important because they don't want that to hit them for instance uh, we have another byproduct some uh, tea byproduct which is very similar to brewer's grains and they are controlled by the fda the animal feed safety system and we went to talk to them about how to pick it up, and right away we found a beef farmer that we can accommodate to go and take it instead of going to landfill. They ha- have to jump through so many hoops, it blew my mind. We were not able to help them, and it may be 30 to 60 days before we can pick their byproduct up to even try it, simply because uh, they have to have pre-approving for all additives. They have to have established feeding limits or feed hazards. They have to provide education and training for the people pursu- uh, buying it. They have to conduct research. They have to uh, perform inspections and investigations by the health department. They have to uh, have enforcement actions uh, for removing it. Uh, They have to look at the containers that you're using. They have to know what kind of equipment, what kind of a truck. Uh, They want to know where it's going, the the, the birth, the death process of the whole thing. And it blew me away because I was not thinking that it was that bad when they were initially fighting that. So my, my word to the crafts is that when you go and walk out in the back of your brewery, and you've got a barrel there or you've got some things that are leaking or, or a farmer's trailer that is being piled with grain and there's water draining out the back door and just kind of collecting and drawing flies. You want to take care of that now. You don't want eventually enough people to complain about it and make accusations, false accusations that is causing some serious, serious harm because ultimately that's going to be very expensive for everybody. That'll take the profit margin out if you have to have all those extra expenses. The person that is marketing it for you won't be able to make a profit because he has to pay you more to go and pay for all the expenses to get rid of it. And ultimately, it comes all back to the brewery where um, they have to pay for it, whether they get less for the product they someday can sell or they have to pay to get rid of it. So 
word be said. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe the, I believe there's a few uh, white papers out there that folks can refer to for sort of the guidance um, coming from that for brewers. But, uh, you know, I want, one of the big ones is making sure that you've got containers that are labeled, you know, that they're spent grains only so it doesn't get mixed with trash and things like that. Basically keeping everything else out of the spent grain um, is, is a big, is a, is a big one. So, Coming up, but but I also like I had one guy that did that. He had a he gets the stakes every year, and, and then I looked at his volume and I said, "Do you realize that I can pay you about uh, twenty five hundred dollars a year?" And he was shocked. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, whose mission is simple, to help brewers craft the best beer possible. This is why BSG hops are sourced directly from growers and processed at their FSSC certified facility, giving you access to high quality and unique varieties like cashmere, Comet, Triumph, Eldorado, plus many more. Discover a whole universe of hop sensory at bsgcraftbrewing.com slash hops. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Shout out to Continental, a global supplier of brewery hoses. Their Extreme Flex Beverage Transfer Hose features pretzel-like flexibility for those tight bend connections. Raise a glass to its easy, clean cover with a finish almost as smooth as your beer. Click the link in the show notes to find a distributor near you. I really hope you listen to what I'm about to say because I'm spending my own money to say it. Most listeners think this podcast is my full-time job, but I actually spend most of my waking hours improving the Lupulin Exchange, which I launched in 2014. I hope that like this show, the exchange has been helpful to you. Would you do me a favor? Buy your next box of hops on the Lupulin Exchange and let me know how I can make the experience even better. I answer every support ticket personally, and I'd love to hear from you. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Don't miss the Small Business Big Impact Master Brewers webinar, March 14th. District Rocky Mountain meets March 15th at Upslope Brewing in Boulder. District Milwaukee meets at Two Doors Down Brewing, March 16th. The multi-district event known as the Eastern Technical Conference is back, March 24th and 25th at the Atlantic Sands Hotel and Conference Center in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. District Texas meets the same weekend, March 24th through the 26th, at the Holiday Inn in Richardson. 
District Eastern Canada meets in Montreal March 29th. District Rocky Mountain is accepting applications for the newly formed Hoppy Grandma Scholarship until March 31st. The Hoppy Grandma Scholarship honors Carmen Duran by assisting brewers with the tuition of brewing courses to help advance their careers. Details can be found in the scholarship section of the District Rocky Mountain page on the Master Brewers website. District St. Louis is holding a yeast symposium April 20th. District Northwest meets in beautiful Hood River April 21st and 22nd. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 9th. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. Now back to the show. What does a brewery need to do to make the transition from giving away their spent grains to actually selling them? Well, it's interesting because byproduct, when you're, you're small and you're first starting up, is one of the last things you ever think about. Right. Uh, and you're not planning for it. So, um, you know, the only thing I can say is that you may not think you're going to get big, but it doesn't hurt to think like you're going to get big. And that way you're going to have any surprises. Like So many crafts have been successful and shocked by it almost. And then they come to us and they say, well, we really need someone professional to take it away because this little farmer can't handle it anymore. I think every bee farmer in America is 80 years old. But <laughs> they're, Me they're too. All, <laughs> they're all starting to find out that they should have done something different in preparation. So if you're a small guy starting out, think about... Um, if you do get bigger, how do you get how do you get it out? If it's in the back corner of the brewery and you have to go and literally move it through everything right out the front door, maybe that's not such a good idea. Think about how you can get it out the back door and more importantly, have something bigger, like some kind of vehicle that will have access. Uh, or uh, maybe the piping, if you have to eventually put a wet grain tank in, think about where that tank is going to be that the truck can get underneath it, gravity feed it. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a forklift that just picks up boxes that will dump into a smaller truck or a dump truck. You want to have something that will accommodate some kind of future space. And uh, a lot of your small brewers, of course, are just buying little spaces downtown. They're thinking about marketing to the consumer. But it's, it's, it's good to go and sit down with a professional or a university or, or the master brewer, somebody that um, you ask your brewmaster, uh, how would you uh, think about this? Or here's where I'm at. What do I do now? Uh, go to the, the experts that have been through it and, and kind of kibitz with them. And um, even if at the at beginning stages, it doesn't hurt to talk about all the way out the back door. What are some ranges of what a brewer could expect to get for spent, spent grains? What, what kind of, well, we'll start with the, the, the product itself. Brewer's grains does um, vary. And it, it depends on the ingredients going in. It depends on uh, the, the ability to extract. For instance, uh, if you... Um, uh, the bigger breweries will take so much out of that, that grain that they end up with a higher protein, believe it or not. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that. 
why, but but your, your bigger breweries will come out with a 35 or 32% crude protein on dry matter basis. Your smaller breweries seem to come out with a 22 to 25. I'm, I'm not sure why the difference is unless it's just the, the percentage or the shares of ingredients that they're using. So the first thing you want to do is find what we call a good wet lab. You can send it to a, a, a laboratory or you do it yourself with a microwave or some kind of infrared ray device. But a, a good wet lab, uh, such as uh, Dairy One up in New York, will allow you to get a good sample of not only the crude protein and the energy, but also the amino acid complex. When, when you have this weapon, this knowledge of what your product is, then you can price it. Because there is information on every other ingredient that every beef farmer or dairy farmer feeds. So once you have the evaluation or the, the rating on your product, then you can price it. It's a very simple thing. You can use an Excel spreadsheet uh, with amino acid breakdown, which is, uh, you know, we actually can provide to the, to the local fella to decide for himself. Once you know the value of it, um, for instance, in today's market, um, you know, corn is worth about 180 bucks a ton. Ground corn and bean meal is worth about 300, just to pick some arbitrary numbers. If you look at Brewer's Grains, compared those two ingredients in the proper ratio, Brewer's Grains right now is worth about $45 a ton. Now, that's exciting to the small guy. He says, well, I'm going to get $45 for a ton of this stuff. Well, now you also have freight and you have handling and you have shrink. You have all those factors that have to come into play. The bigger breweries can be very efficient. They can load up 25 tons. They can get the freight down very efficiently so that they might average maybe 7 to $10 a ton to a farmer in real close. As a result, that $45 now goes down to $35, $33 a ton. Well, that's a lot of money you can share. So if you have a marketer that wants to buy it, he might be able to pay $20, $25 a ton. But let's back up to the small guy. The small guy that has um, you know, one ton a week or five tons a week or 10 tons a week. Um, you can't bring a big tractor trailer in to get the efficiency. So right away, that truck that hauls away 25 tons, uh, you've got a little guy that has to haul three times. He's going to go and have to uh, do it three times. His freight is going to be triple. So now instead of the freight being $10 a ton, the freight would be closer to $25, $30 a ton. Well, $35 off $45, you're down to about a $10 margin. So now uh, if somebody's marketing it for you, there's nothing in there for them because the brewery wants to make something. They might be able to get maybe 10 bucks. That's not bad. So if the farmer comes to you and he's taking away for free in the beginning, that's great. But what I recommend is tell the beef farmer, if you want to come get it for free, but understand in the future, as we get volume, we're going to expect revenue. Prepare them. Too many times uh, the little guy just wants to get rid of it and he's tickled pink. He finally found someone. He doesn't, um, now he's embarrassed to go and ask the guy for money. So it's better to go and prepare that guy coming in for him that uh, I know I can't get much for it because I don't have volume. I don't have efficiencies, but you got to pay me something someday. Right now, I'm happy. Let's work it out. Yeah. In the the meantime, I want some steaks, right? Well, that's genuinely what happens. They get steaks. They get, you know, something like that. Yeah. But, but I also, I had one guy that did that. He had a he gets the stakes every year. And, and then I looked at his volume and I said, do you realize that I can pay you about uh, $2,500 a year? And he was shocked. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I said, I got a customer down the road. I could pick it up. I can deliver it. I could take care of all your problems and you're getting a couple stakes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, well, let's, that, that's a good segue into how how big does a brewery need to be to really start thinking about putting in spent grain silos and, and, and going through that process. So why don't you walk us through some of the numbers there? What, you know, what are, what are the brewery sizes you've seen sort of make that transition? Well, generally, when we walk into a brewery, if we, if we find out they're between 30 to 50,000 barrels a year, right away we know that they, we, they'll have about a truckload a week. Um, and, uh, so and how much, walk, I think I read it, truckloads, what, about roughly 50,000 pounds or something like that? Correct. About, yeah, 24, 25 tons. Yeah, okay. And uh, the limitation really is a truck. You can't go down the road with, with 25 because then you're overweight. But that's, that's correct. Uh, so if you're 30 to 50,000 uh, pounds and you got it going out the back door in barrels, <laughs> you're, you're really working hard to get rid of that grain. Um, you know, now what we've done with a lot of fellows that size is uh, they don't have the, the, the uh, bin, overhead bin. And what we'll do is we'll put a trailer in. Uh, the problem with a trailer is sometimes that trailer might sit there for 10 days. And, and once you get to 10 days, you got that oxidation of the grain of the truck and you're going to have some grain that's not so good. It's going to be a little rank. We talked about that earlier, how it can be perishable. Yeah, so, and it's going to leak and, and, you know, and, and, right. and brewing your brewery tours and everything else, right? Correct. And the smell. Uh, we had uh, one, one dairy, uh, brewery over in St. Pete that were just tickled pink. They had a trailer that was there that was leaking. And we told them we got one that doesn't leak. And uh, so we had a honeymoon for three months. Then they put their tank in, which is even better. So now we're, everybody's happy. They actually have some periods where they don't brew as much. So it's more than 10 days. But by enclosing the grain in the tank, it actually keeps it a little fresher. So if we pick it up in 10 or 15 days, the grain's still edible and uh, desirable by the dairy farmers. You mentioned this earlier, sort of you know, being forward thinking about growth. But, you know, how big are these trucks? How much room do they need to turn around? What's the minimum height clearance? Things like that that people need to, you know, think in advance oh. for. Oh, wow. We had one brewery down in Fort Lauderdale. They put in a beautiful tank and they put it on the ground. So they had to buy a pump to pump it up into the truck when the truck showed up. Oh, man. And we couldn't leave it. Yeah. And, and uh, just a little bit different engineering. And we could have pulled in, hit the valve, loaded the truck, and left. So now it takes three hours. And we have to hit it with a waiting time and take away from the revenue they're gaining. Uh, but you need about 13-foot clearance just to be safe. The trucks are a little bit lower than that. You could probably get away with 11 feet. But by going 13 feet, if you ever change people buying your grain, you can accommodate all sizes. And it doesn't take that much more to put it up to 13 feet. So you figure 13 feet clearance is great. Um, and if you look at the length of a trailer, a trailer will average about about 40 feet. And if you're loading in the middle of the trailer, that means you've got to have, you know, 20 feet behind that tank and 20 feet in front of it. So that gives you an eye. You don't want to put that tank right up next to the building. So you can only put the end of the trailer. So you've only got about 10 feet under the chute and you got 30 feet that you have to expect the grain to flow to. So by, by allowing the trailer to, to park right in the middle of the tank, you can load it and the grain will spread out both ways without the truck having to pull forward and hit his brakes and uh, ruin your asphalt, trying to level it and, and put more on the truck. Now, as far as access, you know, the, the entire truck will be 50 feet. Um, so, you know, if you've got um, an issue where you have all kinds of cars coming to drink, at your at your tap and you and the tractor trailer has to drive through them all uh you want to think in mind where you put that tank you can get around one way that we do accommodate people that that do have a lot of parking and we can't get around is we come you know two or three o'clock in the morning when nobody's around that yeah we can get in and out yeah 
a brewer might be inclined to put a spent grain loadout area on a slope for washdown purposes, why is that a bad idea? Yeah, right. One thing that's nice, if you have a real level space under your tank for our truck, if you don't have scales or uh, in a tank, we can actually, we have tanks, uh, scales in our trucks. So when we pull up and load under the chute, we can actually look and see and load up to 80,000 pounds pretty closely with what they call airway scales on the truck, which is pretty nice. Uh, if if uh, we, you know, we back in there and they've got all kinds of uh, ramps and, and valleys to go and contain all the liquids to go down the storm, uh, not the storm drain, but the sewer, then uh, it does make it more inconvenient. doesn't mean we can't do it. It's just nice if you're planning ahead of time. It would be a, a nice convenience for those with scales on the trucks. It also makes more uh, accurately the, the weights that you're going to get paid for your product. Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, can you give us some estimates? What, what does it cost to put in a, a new spent grain silo these days? Uh, I, I've seen varying prices and varying companies. Uh, we, we pretty much you know, hand it off to other companies that do it. But I'm, I'm going to guess you're talking uh, thirty to $50,000. Uh, it that's it, off the top of my head. It's been a while since I priced one, so I don't know if it's changed much. But there, you know, there's it seems like a lot of people find these things uh, out there in the marketplace uh, for various reasons, and that it, and they, they and they fit it, form fit it. Yeah, you've got, and you you gave us some good pricing back. Uh, I guess it's been a few years ago now, back in 2012. Uh, that I'll link to in a Master Brewers Tech Tip. Oh, yeah, um, and I think I think you came up with about uh, something like forty five thousand dollars. So it's still right in your range there. So mm-hmm. um, cool. Okay, um, let's see. What about? Do you have any recommendations? I mean, what do you do for some of these brewers that are just not located anywhere near a farm or cattle? Do they just have to pay tremendous, uh, you know, transportation fees, or yeah, are they kind of in a tight spot and need to find a, a different uh, way to get rid of it? Depending on their size, I mean, these guys are pretty creative. One thing that I would recommend or think of is you've got these dog-friendly parks. You've got all these people excited about, um, you know, coming to the place, having beer, seeing friends, listening to music. I would uh, think about using the spent grains for uh, soil conditioner, actually. Maybe build a, a a wall where you can grow all kinds of vegetation and have people, if they want to spend time there, they can do a little gardening and grow tomatoes and lettuce and everything else where they can actually harvest it, come there, and, and, and if they help harvest it, they can, they can reap the rewards of the vegetables. That might be one idea. Or even have a community that, where they will take the spent grains in a suburban, uh, suburban area where um, they'll, they'll grow their own vegetables in a lot you know, in the middle of all these homes. You've got a lot of places uh, having these community gardens. That would be a, a donation that, that they would come get it and take care of your issue. Um, otherwise, not expensive. I, I am working at a project where if you're in a dense area, like maybe in Toronto or New York City or or um, Denver, where there's a, a lot of a lot of little uh, breweries, that if you have some, almost like a like a garbage pickup, you have equipment that could. Um, just like uh, one of those garbage pickups, pick up the bins and dump them in the truck. And ca- there are equipment that does that. Uh, there's one company I know in particular called, or I think Organic Matters, that has set up a system. The problem with that, of course, is you're still paying for it. It's, but I think it's something that's gonna it's gonna spread. I think someday it might it might be where uh, uh, it may it might accommodate and it might be, be beneficial. It might be some money into it. But I think that's that's going to be an entrepreneur to figure that one out. Right now. We got bigger fish to fry with the bigger breweries, but I think someday there'll be somebody creative enough to figure that out. And you could always be creative like Pabst Brewing was back in the day and start your own dairy, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. 
we did that. We actually had a dairy. We were feeding some some grains. We had some areas, and uh, we liked it quite a bit. Um, the problem was that uh, we we are not an investment company. We're what we call an ROI company. So uh, ultimately, the board of directors decided to get rid of it. But uh, whoever bought the dairy was very successful with it. We passed it on, and it's still running today. Uh, I think Paps. I think because they basically they are a different kind of brewery. They no longer have assets either. <laughs> I think ironically. Uh, they did the same decision, made the same decision. Yeah. Okay. I guess, do you want to get into, do you want to talk about some of the the new stuff that's going on in terms of, you know, prospects for human consumption? Uh, I know there's a few different companies that are doing, you know, just sort of out of the box stuff. There's even one, I think, dog food or, or dog biscuit bakeries and things like that. Is any of that worth talking about? Yeah, I, I, those are kind of bad things, much like your organic gardening, you know, having something on the wall and in, in, in extra effort. Uh, the dog basics would be nice, and you might make a little money on that. I think where the real opportunity for brewer's grains of all, all levels, all types, is, is going to be enzymes. You've got a company right now, DuPont, that is actually looking at it. Uh, this is kind of like, in, like an orphan drug right now. There's Until they can figure out how they can make money doing it, it's not going anywhere. It, it, they can do and make an enzyme that will take that fiber and digest it. But right now, the, the critical mass or the need isn't so big that um, there's not a lot of research going into it. So uh, we're trying to work with, I am personally, trying to convince people that this needs to be an effort we need to work on. Because if they can reduce the fiber, the nutrient value for, for, for humans is incredible. You want to talk about organic bread or <laughs> organic bread that will be... Uh, healthy and, and, and uh, fibrous and everything else, but still be at a level that uh, won't hurt you. I mean, it, to me, it's just an incredible opportunity for someone. Okay, that's interesting. That's that first hurdle. So, that, so that's, a pro- that's the big problem with human consumption is that there's essentially just too much fiber in, 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 when it comes straight out of the brewery? Right. right. It, yeah, just think of corn on the cob. You ever ate a corn on the cob and get stuck between your teeth? Yeah. Well, if, it's going to be probably five times as bad. <laughs> And then you have to spend all day with floss to get it out. Even then, it's difficult getting it out of your teeth. Yeah, and you are seeing a few. There's, um, uh, you know, a few companies that are making granola bars and you know other things like that that are using it as an ingredient. But of course, it's it's mixed. Well, you know, and, you know, we we actually have taken brewers grains and ground it and made a flour out of it. But then it's back to extra expense. So I mean, you can do it if you want to spend the money, but you can you can wear out a grinder. <laughs> in a day just grinding the brewer's grains that's how fibrous and tough it is yeah uh, another idea is someday somebody might go and decide uh, instead of having all these these uh, genetically or excuse me g- uh, genetically improved not modified but just they have barley that's so beneficial in the way of starches that uh, they might go the other way instead of growing barley with all that fiber they might have a more plush barley that as a result won't be so fibrous after it's cooked I don't know if that's going to be beneficial for making beer, but maybe there's a way of, of having that product uh, more powdery when it goes in. Yeah. So if you're a small guy and you are grinding your uh, barley to make your beer, uh, maybe you'll have a better byproduct that could be used in bread. Any comment on sort of the um, the energy market? I know there's a, a little bit of it being used either for, um, you know, just combustion to generate heat and electricity or even biogas production. Uh, is there much of that going on that you're aware of? Oh, yeah, yeah. And again, it's kind of like a last resort. But yeah, up in Alaska, where they, they have to barge all the barley in at uh, the Alaskan brewery, they um, could, I, I tried to work with them and got frustrated pretty quick because they got nowhere to go with it. 
And uh, they finally figured out that they could use the heat of the brewery to actually dry the grain somewhat so that by the time it gets to the end of the Heil dryer, it goes right back in to the boilers to burn, to burn again, to keep the boilers running. So it's a, it's a cycle of uh, barley in and burning to go and make more heat and then to burn the byproduct as well. That was Bill Cromie here on the Master Brewers podcast. Bill is also sort of the unofficial volunteer photographer at Master Brewers. So for those of you heading to Calgary or any of the other annual conferences, he'll be the guy with the camera. There's a hidden gem on the website called Tech Tips. I believe it started with Carl Ocker, and I kept it going with help from Mark Sammartino until we developed the Master Brewers community. You can only see Tech Tips if you're both a Master Brewers member and logged into the site. A few years ago, Bill put together a great tech tip on spent grain silos. I'll link to that article in the show notes. Alternatively, make sure you're logged into the website, then type wet spent grains into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, can't stop, 